Class 2 of Hebrews today, Hebrews 1, 4 through 14, if you want to turn there. Hebrews near the end before James, which is weird because we might do James next. I didn't think about that. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 4 through 14. We looked at verses 1 through 3 last week. What we're going to talk about today is how God the Father has given Jesus Christ the Son a name greater than all names, the throne to a kingdom that has no end, and all things have been created by the Son and through the Son, including angels, for the worship and service of the Son. Best name, best kingdom, and uh, he created angels who were considered very, very high beings at the time. And he calls this uh, less than the praiseworthy king who was created. Uh, a lot of verses today. I'll read a few, and then if somebody wants to pick up the rest from there nice and loudly, uh, starting at Hebrews 1.4. So right before that it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Then verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as death garment. Mm. I just realized I have my King James on it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> what verse did you stop? Where you were there. What verse did you stop at? Oh, oh 11. So if somebody want to take 12? 13 and 14. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years have no end. And to which angels, to which, to which of the angels has he ever said, set on the right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your people? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit the salvation? So quite a quite a bit of comments here on Christ, and also a very succinct comment about what angels do. So as we saw last week from uh, the first few verses, the book of Hebrews focuses on um, squarely on Christ, and theologically speaking, it's very Christocentric, and the gospel as we go forward as we look at this lesson today, it ultimately comes down to three questions, the gospel, and that's, who is Jesus? I know there's, there's been oftentimes where like, okay, let's talk about somebody at work, and we both come to the realization, like, it really comes down to who they think Jesus is. <laughs> like, as soon as they, we can move on from there. So who is Jesus, and what has he done? And just for the sake of it, there's a third question. What do you think that third question is of the gospel? Who is Jesus and what has he done? What's the last question we ask ourselves when we look back at hearing the gospel and the process we went through or what a non-Christian might have to ask? What if we don't? What if we reject it? 
Sure. So us comes in, right? What we're going to do about it. And the way that we're here is what is the significance to us? That being, you know, I could reject. I could accept. I could believe for a little while, then wander off, then maybe come back, then maybe believe for real. I'm not sure. I could think that I'm believing, but practice sin on the side and realize I was never saved in the first place. A lot of things. Who is Jesus? What has he done? And what is the significance to us? Uh, in Colossians, um, Mike mentioned it last week. Uh, in Colossians 1, 15 through 20, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. I love that. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's cool. We feel that about ourselves now. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. What does preeminence mean? I'll give you a hint. It's basically what we were talking about with Jesus over and over and over last week. Like the point that Hebrews is trying to make about Jesus, that he is, huh? Yes. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think that was going to be what it meant. I looked it up last night. I was like, oh, my bad. (laughs) But preeminence means the fact of surpassing all others' superiority. So um, Paul, at the beginning of Colossians, he's doing a similar thing that the beginning of Hebrews is doing. He's telling us, um, he's introducing the readers, we don't want to forget the readers at the time, which is a general group of seemingly converted Jews who, I mean, within that group, you're going to have non-believers and you're going to have people who have been believing for a while, but they're kind of on the fence. But in general, it's a group of Jewish messianic type, messianic type Jews. Um, But he's introducing to them and to us the person of Christ before teaching us about the work of Christ. And he makes a, he makes kind of a, you might disagree, but he makes, I I don't know, I'm really coming around to agree with him, but he makes a very important point in the book. He talks about how, this is Al Mohler, um, but he talks about how like we need to break down um, who he is and what he does separately, but specifically talking about Christians, he talks about how it, a lot of times in evangelistic conversations we'll jump very quickly to the work of Christ before talking about who he is. And he was just saying like that's not a good idea. <laughs> like it's almost like we kind of jump straight to uh, it's kind of like we're selling Ginsu knives or Cutco or something or just like look at what he does it cuts right through and it's like okay can you tell me about the company uh, and uh, he was just saying I th- and I think that comes from a lack of boldness maybe it comes from fear to look somebody in the eyes and be like well first of all what you need to understand is that Jesus Christ is Lord and in him all things hold together but if you think about it, if you're trying to explain Christ to somebody through his work, you often get a lot of questions that are answered by who he is. If you found this, you'll be talking about his work. They'll be like, yeah, but how does he do that? It's like, well, he's God. You know, it's, but you skip that. So they have every reason to be confused. Now, what he's saying here is that we shouldn't separate because it's impossible. It's impossible to separate who God is from what he does. It's impossible. But for us finite little ants, little human beings, it's helpful to separate them in understanding who he is, knowing that they're connected together. Um, And so Hebrews reminds us, first thing, that's what Hebrews is doing, 
who is Christ? It's the first thing that it's asking, and it's telling us. And just like Paul did in Colossians, so there's, I'm just saying, like, there's a system to this. Paul is very smart as well. He seems to be, let's establish who he is first, and then we'll talk about what he's done and what we should do. Um, and because of that, I don't know, it's just something we could take with us. It's something like, how do I express Christ to the world? We well, better have on hand, like, who he is. Like, that should be, like, a, a bullet in your loving gun pretty quickly. And then from there, maybe talk about, like, what he's done in your life. Maybe don't jump so quickly. Uh, be bold. Say who he is. Because there's power to it that uh, we don't know. The Spirit speaks it. Um, Hebrews also reminds us that we know, we know Christ in the context of a story, of a narrative. His identity is revealed to us, but by God's choice. God has chosen how to reveal him. It is done so through the biblical storyline of the Bible, his holy word. Um, he is the climax of the drama that moves from Old Testament promise to New Testament fulfillment. And that's just a basic, a basic thing to remember. Anyway, and by the way, we're doing a lot of Old Testament and New Testament. OT means Old Testament, NT means New Testament, <laughs> just to save ourselves some breath and some writing. So OT, NT, the, the OT promise to the NT fulfillment. I did not spell that right. That's a great way to describe Christ. He is the Old Testament promise and the New Testament fulfillment. And that's just a great way to really keep if you're somebody who struggles with the structure of the Bible, that's a really good way to keep structure. Like, okay, the promise is okay, the promise is still, and then there's Christ, and it's okay, now it's fulfilled. Now what do we do? It's very helpful. Um, so like we talked about last week, we have to broaden our gospel scope to include the context of the story of Israel or the old covenant, even though, even though the old covenant has been rendered obsolete by Christ by his inauguration and his mediation of the new covenant, it still tells us stuff about him so we should care. Um, like, um, if, I mean, goodness gracious, one of, like one of the greatest villains of all time, Darth Vader. If I, I realize the first three aren't that digestible to watch, <laughs> But if I don't see them, there's a lot I miss out about his character and particularly why he turns in the end and decides to be good. Or maybe you go, maybe growing when you like when you guys were dating or you guys were dating, maybe you went to um, Henry's house and you saw a picture of him when he was young. <laughs> and it doesn't mean anything now. It's just the way he looked when he was young. But it's special. It mean, it's, it's him. It tells you something about it. This is the way he used to look. It's like, oh, you can see him living his life. Oh, he used to do things. He's a little guy. It's, it's important. And I realize that those sound obvious, but that's the point. They're supposed to sound obvious. Because we need to be as obvious as that with the Old Testament. Like, it needs to be obvious. Like, this is important. You know, <laughs> not just like, this is so, like, some of the killing is cool. I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of violent. It's like, no, this is very, it's, it's who, it's a part of who he is. It's very important. Um, it also made me think of when I got out of high school and there was this very big election between a uh, very, very well-speaking, you know, pretty, pretty awesome uh, black man and a old white man who was, used to be a soldier. And I remember thinking, Okay, these are both pretty cool. I mean, I lean toward one side, but then I was swayed by the story of the white dude. The fact that he had been a prisoner of war in Vietnam for five and a half years. This was McCain. But that, that mattered to me, knowing his past. I'm just saying, it needs to be that obvious. The Old Testament needs to be that obvious. And that's something that we should, as we disciple each other, Maybe you have a newer Christian in your life. You need to help them understand that. Like, you might, maybe you don't like the Old Testament now, but don't, like, it's important. Like, don't, like, you're going to care about this. Because <laughs> the more you get to know Christ, you're going to care more. And maybe, maybe uh, somebody you know who struggles with the Old Testament, that's how you can encourage them. Being like, well, I know you want to know Jesus. 
So sooner or later, you're going to care about this. So have hope. Be, be encouraged. You're going to care. You're going to eventually care. You're going to be one day, you're going to be 50 looking at Leviticus like, oh, man, so good. Can't believe it. Um, so looking at the first verse, does somebody want to read verse 4 again? Verse 4. Thank you very much. So we're going to look at four superior things um, in these in this section. All superior things of the Son of God. The first one is the name. And as we talked about last week, verses 1 through 3, they give us all this information about how Christ is superior. And if you notice, it does show, it does so if you want to look, by showing a little quick narrative in verses 1 through 3. Christ was, let's, let's play this out. Christ was divine. He created the world. He expressed God's glory and nature through himself. He showed in his divinity how he keeps the universe together, being able to control the winds and the tides, being able to save people with leprosy. He can do anything. He paid the penalty of sin for all who believe and then sat down at the right hand of God. Interesting. What's that story in the verse three verses? It's the story of Christ. It's the story of his entire ministry right there in the first three verses by just talking about who he is. He starts at the beginning, and then he's sitting at the right hand of God mediating for us right now. It's amazing. You get the gospel in three verses. And now, uh, verse 4 transitions out of that. That's why we're, I'm saying that to say, like, that's kind of why we're transitioning. It's all the same sentence here, or not, uh, it's the second sentence, I think. But 4 takes this kind of turn, and it starts talking about, starts arguing for the superiority of Christ in relation to angels. Now, I'm not sure if angels are something that maybe our group thinks about a lot, but I think it's something that our culture thinks about a lot. Why do you think um, the author is concerned with demonstrating that Christ is superior to angels? For us, that might feel kind of obvious, but even if it is, feel free to answer. But why? Why, why is he taking time to demonstrate this? Well, you were in a culture that had many gods, and angelics are supernatural beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important not to give the impression that Jesus was an angel. Right. Because he wasn't. So. Why, why would people get confused about that? I think this just means like we put, we could put anything, we could get too interested or distracted by anything that isn't God. So it's like people might kind of, you know, wander off, like, oh, what is this about? It's interesting. Right. Like, it's interesting, like, in our culture, there are people who, like, look at the numbers, you know, like, 1 through 3 is, like, an angel number. Like, it's, it's, like, in our culture, like... Sure. But, like, as Christians, too. Yeah. And I like what you said there. You said we can get distracted by anything that isn't God. I'm not trying to grill you here. I'm just trying to work through this process. So what if I was focusing... Like something that's not God. This TV, what's the difference? Like, what is it about angels that... This, this TV is obviously not greater than Jesus. Why, why would it... I'm not going to confuse this with Jesus. <laughs> well, I might idolize it and watch it all the time. <clears throat> but why angels? What's so special? Why? Well, I mean... Right. And I think that's what you're saying. It's like something that's not God, but that is not the ordinary. That's for sure. And I think throughout um, Scripture, the way that people react to angels and the way that they see them is very, very telling. Uh, If you read, you guys remember that part in Revelation where he's talking to that angel. I can't remember which part of that's being revealed to him, but basically he like becomes totally overwhelmed. It might be the lamb. I don't know, the, the scroll, but he becomes overwhelmed and he like falls before the angel that's talking to him and the angel's like, dude, whoa, get up. Like, he's like, no, don't do that. And then he like, gets him he's like, I'm sorry. He's like, not me, him, golly. <laughs> like, um, we're, we're, we can, that's John having a revelation from God and inside of the revelation still mistakenly bowed down to an angel. 
It's, so there's something very powerful and very, very holy about um, these beings, but they aren't divine. Well, that might be one of your big definitives of angelic beings, because you'll see how the being responds. If it says, do not worship me, it's angelic being. Right. Where if it accepts the worship, it is, shall we say, the pre-incarnate Jesus. Or maybe demonic. You know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean? Yeah, if it if the worship belongs to Christ, but it's also possible in our culture, not for us as Christians, but it's possible in our culture to be like, maybe it's demonic. Maybe it's calling for worship to steal, to try to steal from Christ. And we see that around the world with uh, false gods. They're not actually gods. They're, you know, demons <laughs> trying to cause mischief. And God's allowing them to see the contrast, which he's proving right here, right? <laughs> he's proving right here the contrast. How, if someone in the room understands the Catholic faith, than I do, but I, when I worked at Creighton, I was a little bit surprised at some of my coworkers hmm. who, um, it seemed they had more of a, fantasy isn't quite the word, but, but mystical? Yeah, with angels, like, okay, so one of, one of my coworkers, <clears throat> She talked about this angel that, I mean, she really almost um, worshipped this angel. I don't, I don't know, were there, were there angels that, in the Catholic faith, that you would pray to? I know there's saints that they pray to. Huh. There, were, there were angels that we would pray to. But the big disconnect in Catholicism versus Christianity is that, and Kayla, maybe you'll agree with me in this, we weren't raised to believe we could have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So we had priests in between. We had Mary in between. Mm -hmm. We had angels and saints. Angels, right. Where so we were prayed, we could pray to Jesus that. Christ, but we didn't have that that relationship directly with him. We like have all these levels in between. So I could see where, I mean, so I personally didn't, but I could see where that becomes. An angel might be place. in between a mediator. Right. Yeah, because they're a messenger one way. Why wouldn't they be a messenger right. another way? I mean, that's easy to warp. I'm not saying it's true. I'm just saying that's very easy to warp. Right. Yeah. Well, that's somewhat the premise of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. In other words, we can't go to Jesus, so we go to Mary. So Good Mary point. Mary to talk with Jesus, and then yes. Jesus has to talk with God. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Guardian angel. Guardian angel. Yep. There's a lot of that where it's just like, no, like, God, like, protects us. Yeah, we got to keep this angel around to protect. Um, yeah, it was almost like an idol. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And, it, and, it, and it, I don't know, we think about, or we, I, I look at, you know, the Bible and they had, you know, actual graven images. You know what I think? Hmm. How would you look at this carved piece of wood and <laughs> worship that? But right. if we today can do that with an angel, I mean, yeah. I mean, and especially Christmas time when you have all of the angels and all of the, mm -hmm. you know, nativity scenes and all of that, you know, and, I mean, it was really, it was really kind of like that. I mean, I, I can picture this angel that she brought to work and it was just like, do you, are you listening to yourself right now? <laughs> yeah, it's weird, really like, creepy. every human has, like, whether non-Christian or not, um, it's hard to piece together, but you kind of sense from Romans 1 that they have this 
sort of hunch at least that there's some connection to the spiritual realm or something going on. And I think what we are in awe of is a very telling thing for people on the earth. Are we in awe? If you, you could have, I've, I'm sure you have had conversations, but conversations with somebody who talks about a guardian angel or somebody who saved their life like an angel from heaven or whatever it is. And it's very much like they're talking about them like they're in awe of what happened. They're in awe of it. And they're not giving credit to God at all. It stays there. And that's something that the Bible teaches us to do. It teaches me that if Henry pushes me out of the way of a moving car, I thank him and I praise God. You know, I don't, I don't put Henry on a pedestal and start worshiping Henry because he saved me from a car. And they, their awe stops there, and that's a problem. Um, they sort of take it, though, that Jesus sent this guardian angel to protect me. Yeah. Even though it's God <laughs> in his sovereignty, in his story playing out. It's just another thing that attacks the will of God and tries to diminish it. Um, at the time, the Jews, like you said, it was the intertestamental period. Does anybody know what that means? The intertestamental period? This is a new term. Yeah, yeah. This is a new term I've just gotten to hear. But during the intertestamental so mental um, period. This is between the OT and here I'll pull a star. This is between the OT and the NT. During this time, there's a lot of very crappy theology that was developed. Uh, some of it was good, but some of it was intensely focused on angels. It was mixed with error, like we talked about in First John. It started with error, and then it became lies. And uh, many people considered angels to be God's messengers, yes, but also to be protectors, Israel's protectors. Like, they protected, not God sent them to protect. They just protected. It's just what they do. And that's so amazing, and I'm in awe of them. Um, <clears throat> many Jews looked at angels <clears throat> as those who would come as the army of God to rescue and vindicate the nation, like perhaps they were involved in World War II or something like that. Uh, they were uh, in the future, obviously, but back um, when they were waiting for a Messiah, some of them were like, maybe it'll be an army of angels. Uh, there was also the notion, like we just talked about, of personal angels and guardian angels, which I think is interesting because it's basically re it's replacing your needed personal relationship with Christ, or at the Old Testament time, the needed personal relationship with God through the promise by focusing on an angel. Well, he, well angel hovers around me and takes care of me. Um, it's just replacing it, which is wrong. So Hebrews, what he's doing is he's recalibrating our understanding of what angels are and what they do. And in this case, he's using Christ to help recalibrate that. How do I recalibrate this? Let's set Christ as the center and we'll figure this out. Um, and like we talked about, there's tons of examples of angel. The way in our culture, how the way we use the word angel or the way we talk about it, we've clearly been affected in a way where we've put angels in a place that they shouldn't be. Um, for example, maybe to express beauty, a guy might see a girl and say, she looks like an angel. When in reality, what he, want, what he should be saying is, wow. You know, he should be singing, God must have spent, or whatever, little more time on you, or something. He should be giving the credit to God, not, she looks like an, you know, like an angel just looks like a person. She looks like a person? Is that what you're trying to say? Or when your kid is good, you don't say, you know what, you're, you're such a sweet little Christ imitator. You don't say that, which maybe you should, because you're teaching them about Jesus. It's a, my little angel. Come on. Um, but no, it's just, I know that sounds dumb, but that's this is the kind of stuff, you know, if you read 1984 and you look at the things they say, you're like, oh, how the culture's changed. Let's not ignore that of our own. We've done the same thing. Uh, verse 4 explicitly indicates that Christ is superior, just straight up says it. And it says that he's done so by the name that he has inherited. That's more excellent than theirs. Um, if you want, you might want to turn to Philippians 2 for this. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. This is how Al has 
found to defend like what this verse is saying. In verse 4, he is literally saying that Jesus inherited a name that is more excellent than theirs. He inherited, which is strange because he's God. So his explanation, which I thought was very, very solid, is in Philippians 2, which we have done, but verses 8 through 11. And he says, actually, somebody want to read that? Verses 8 through 11, nice and loud. Not in KJV? No, it's fine. I'm not persecuting. <laughs> Philippians 2, 8 through 11. A little bit of a trick question, but what name did Christ inherit? Sure, yeah. And uh, what's uh, pretty explicit in the verse she just or the verses she just read, particularly in uh, verse eleven? Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, yeah. And it's not to say he wasn't before, but it is to say that, like we were saying, as God has chosen to do, revealing Christ, revealing himself through Christ in the narrative, because Christ did what he did, even though he was Lord before, he's expressing how he deserves this title. I deserve, this is my name, I get this name. And before he leaves, he says, he didn't say this before. He did say me and God are one and I, the Father and the Son. But a lot, of, a lot of what he was talking about before was I'm serving the Father, I'm serving the Father, I'm serving the Father. And then before he leaves, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He, by God's choice through the story, earned the right to, like, to us, not to be greater, but to much greater affect us by being here and doing what he did. We have a relationship, a personal relationship with him. And God chose to do that. He chose to be like, I want them to focus on him. And I'm not saying we shouldn't care about God. It's just that's the way God set it up, and we need to accept that. And there's some people that focus on God, 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 and they never talk about Jesus. And they're like, I'm a Christian. And you're like, why? <laughs> you never talk about Jesus. You, you might as, you could, you're, you're, I'm not saying you aren't, but you're kind of like, without Jesus, you're kind of like leaning off into almost ag ag being an agnostic. You just be careful, like focus on Christ. Without Christ, you could just be an Orthodox Jew. Like, be careful. Um, but he inherited the Lordship. I thought that was really cool. So although he already had it, God chose to go through a story to express where he earned it by dying for our sins and raising from the dead. Um, and for that reason, he is far, far superior to angels. And in doing that, inside of his ministry, angels were there serving him to carry out the story. Even at his birth, they all showed up to worship him. Have a feeling he's better than angels. And I know we know this, but this is, this is good when you're talking to somebody who starts talking about, what do you think of ghosts and angels and demons? And like, what do you think? It's like, well, here's the thing. Here's what I think, because I'm a Christian. This is what I think. First of all, a myriad of them came to worship God when he was a baby. So I certainly don't think that they're greater than God. I think that they worship him and lead us to him so anything you know about angels you should be focusing on jesus that's very helpful like i'm just saying helpful inside of evangelism somebody want to read verses five and six Hebrews. yeah going back to hebrews sorry for which the angels did god for which of the angels did god ever say you are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship you. Thank you. And uh, as you saw, I gave you some sheets, because in the first class, <clears throat> We were challenged by both the person in the book and other videos that I watched to 
do the work to look at the Old Testament and to go back and forth. <coughs> so last night, I did my best. I just gave you the verse with some basic context around it, just so we're not going completely out of context here. Some of these I might have not done as well. <coughs> I'll try to do better in the future. <coughs> but just for the sake of time, so that you can have that in front of you. But uh, this is where the quotes really start coming in, um, as he read. Um, in 5 and 6. So starting in verse 5, we begin with our first of many, many quotes um, in Hebrews from the Old uh, Testament. And you have the sheets there to help us with the context. Um, Keep in mind, we are not reading, like when you're looking at this, we're not reading random quotes like from the author's understanding of the Old Testament. Because again, why... Why can we trust the author? God inspired. Exactly. This is the Holy Spirit. Think about this. This is awesome. The Holy Spirit inspired the writings that he's quoting from. And now through this author, God has chosen within his story to let the Holy Spirit now take us to comment on the stuff he wrote before. To connect it for us. Very cool. So the Holy Spirit, you think like, what did the Holy Spirit do in history? Well, he came upon Samson and stuff like that. He wrote the scripture and then later in life, later in his life, his his existence, working through the author of Hebrews, chose to be like, and this is what I was saying. And he's commenting on it for us. And this is like, if you read some of these, one of the biggest things I took away is like, it's just like there. It's so crazy. Like you, and this this talks a lot about. And I'm not. I'm sure most of you know this here, but David was also a prophet. A lot of people don't don't realize that he was a king, but he was a prophet. He was a king prophet, which is two pieces of what Christ was. And you read these psalms, and you're like, it's just it's just right there. He's just talking about Jesus. They didn't even know his name back then. He's just talking about him. That's weird. And that's the Holy Spirit in you. Holy Spirit can see it. But I guarantee you, before the Holy Spirit, you probably look at this as like, I have no idea what he's talking about. This is so stupid. But he's just blatantly talking about the Son here. And for the first quote, um, we, just, we just have to remember, we can read Scripture to understand Scripture. and Because uh, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for us. He's giving us this commentary. And uh, in verses, this is really cool. So in verses 5 through 6, um, we have three quotes. And so it's on that first page, 5 through 6. We have a quote from Psalms. We have a quote from Second Samuel. And a quote from Deuteronomy. This is very interesting. So the way that we look at the Bible and the way that we break up the Bible is like, what? Pentateuch? Or the law, right? The law, history, minor, or major, minor prophets, New Testament, blah, gospels, whatever, right? But the Hebrew Bible, which is the Old Testament, was broken up into different sections. They had a certain way of breaking up their sections. Does anybody know what those sections are? It has to do with Psalms and 2 Samuel <laughs> and uh, what do we got? Deuteronomy. So Deuteronomy should be easy, right? What section of the Hebrew Bible is Deuteronomy coming from? Torah. Right, the Torah. So we've got Scripture coming, or we've, we've got the Holy Spirit being like, this is Christ coming from these different areas. One is the Torah, one is the writings, and one is weirdly, the way that they break it up, is the prophets. And we see the Torah with Deuteronomy, we see the writings with Psalms. We see the prophets actually with Second Samuel. So what we see there is the Holy Spirit being like, every part of this book, he, I can find you any example where Christ is there and he's better. Especially than angels. So that's really cool. He chose to pick those three sections and be like, boom, boom, boom. Right off the bat, bam, bam, bam. Um, so he quotes from the three main sections. That gives us confidence. First of all, the author's knowledge. 
that the Holy Spirit chose to work in this person and speak through this person. This person has a very good understanding. I think we can agree of the um, Old Testament. This is the kind of thing where when Christ was talking to Nicodemus, he's like, you're a teacher of the Old Testament. You don't know this stuff? This is, this is probably what Nicodemus was supposed to be able to do. Um, you know, um, a good book that I read, David Lebaugh, uh wrote a book and goes through all the... Uh, Testament books pointing about it's talking about Christ starting from just like everywhere. Everywhere goes through the whole. Oh, that's so cool. Ever, ever. You know what it's called? God, I don't know. That's all right. Book by David Limbaugh. Yeah, yeah. And he's other people done it. He's this one that's done it lately. Yeah, that's really really cool. He starts with a rhetorical question. for to which of the angels did God ever say, "For you are my son, today I have begotten you? Um, that makes it point, makes it clear that um, God never, he never makes any sonship claim of angels. And uh, an angel may work as God's agent, like Christ, like Christ did stuff for God. He may work as an agent or a messenger or a witness, right? And those are all similar to Christ. Christ was a messenger as well, but what's the difference? He's, angels are not the son of God. And that might have that might have a kind of convicting feel for you because we're children of God now and that's quite a feeling that's quite an honor um, the quote from second Samuel shows that his sonship refers not only to Jesus as the eternal son of God but Jesus as the messianic son like Matthew again fulfilling uh, talking about David fulfilling Davidic promises because second Samuel 7 as some of you may know, that is the covenant that God makes with David. And he says here, this is interesting. This, this can show you, uh, and like this is something to take with you. I mean, look at this. 2 Samuel 7, verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 14. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Within the same verse, when he commits iniquity... I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. Obviously, it's not talking about Christ. But keep, I mean, look at that. Look how quickly he just, like, I'm talking about Christ. Now I'm not. Like, we, <laughs> we have to be looking at this stuff with, like, that's why this book is helpful. It's so meticulous. Going back, like, oh, he said, and he's not talking about there. And then later, in your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. Oh, that's going to be in Christ. But along the way, within his lineage, there's going to be sin. Okay. Like, it's just amazing how, mm, it's so, that's why you have to study the Bible. Um, the final quotation from Deuteronomy 32:43 is uh, particularly interesting. Um, in its original context... Uh, the statement about angels bowing down in worship is reference to specifically Yahweh, uh, which you see in your Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So the writer is identifying in Hebrews that Jesus is Yahweh, 100%. So the angels worship Christ. It is not Christ who worships the angels. The angels declare the birth of Christ, like we saw uh, with our um, Advent series in Matthew. It is not Christ who declares the ministry of angels. And the angels are not called the sons, but that is the very name of Christ, the Davidic Messiah, um, the Lordship that he has inherited. Um, Because during his ministry, he displayed the Father as the Son of God, which proved he was Lord. Somebody want to read 7 through 12? Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wind and his ministers a flame of fire. But the Son, he says, in the throne, O Lord, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you... Lord laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will work. They will wear out all like a garment. Hmm. 
And uh, like a robe, you will roll them up like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Um, the quote in verse 7, it comes from Psalm 104.4. Uh, and in th- this context of that psalm, uh, not to get too confused, at first I was very confused by this angel part, but all he's really saying is that, like, um, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. He's just saying, I make them do things. I make them move quick. I make them destruct like fire to take things out. It's just, you know, th- he's commanding them. Um, And uh, in verse 8, we see the contrast of angels who are servants in verse 7. And uh, so Christ is divine and he's on the throne and these angels are serving. And in 8 through 9, we see Psalm 45, 6 through 7, which you have here. And the angels, they might surround the throne, but the Son is the one who sits on the throne. And angels, angels may be sent to do things like be swift, to give a message or to destroy like fire, but they're not anointed, like it says at the end of Psalm 7, or 45, 7. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you. Um, Where else in the Old Testament do we see angels in relation to the throne of God? What's one of the more popular stories? Testament? Old Testament, yeah. Angels instead of what? I'm just saying, in the Old Testament, what's a very popular story in the Bible where we see angels and we see the throne? Job Isaiah. Job, interesting. But yeah, Isaiah is what I was looking for. Isaiah 6. And in Isaiah 6, this is another great example. Um, In Isaiah 6, we encounter the seraphim, and what are they doing? Saying what? Singing what? Holy, 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 which nobody has ever, nobody else has ever had this title. Never had that title. Holy, holy, holy. Um, And so these sinless beings that dwell in the presence of God, they're singing of God's perfection and his holiness. And they sing this song while doing what? Remember, they're singing the song, but there's something very specific about these seraphim. Well, they're watching, aren't they? Let's start with their wings. How many wings do they have? Six, right, from Jorge? What are they doing with those wings? Some of them, they're flying, covering their face. And what's the last one? This, this, should, this should really solidify what we're talking about, covering their feet. Well, it seems like you've got two-winged ones, four-winged ones, and six-winged ones. <laughs> yeah, sure. But in this case, in Isaiah 6, you've got these uh, um, angels covering their face so that they do not gaze directly at the Lord sitting upon the throne. Two are being used to carry out his work. And then the last few are showing their lowliness, covering their feet in front of God. God doesn't have to look at their feet, which he made. Um, But he does that for his glory. It doesn't matter whether he can look at them or not. That's not the issue. And so we're broadening our gospel scope. And every time I've heard this story, Every single time I've heard Isaiah 6 story, I always think of the Father. But as we're broadening our gospel scope, who do you think is sitting on that throne? Or at least, what are you more inclined to see as we continue to look at who Christ is in Hebrews? Jesus. Yeah. And growing up, I never thought about that. I thought, Jesus, guy came down here, he did some stuff. This book is telling us, like, go back. Go back and read it. He's everywhere. And that is one of the, I mean, that example to me is like, Jesus, they won't show their feet. And then Jesus comes and washes his disciples' feet. They can't look at him, and he comes down, humbles himself to be a man so you can see him. They're, They're flapping their wings to carry out. He comes down to do the work of God himself. See, looking back and seeing Christ that, uh, that does something to you. It's like if you're in a couple and somebody tells you an old story and you're like, actually, what happened in that story was, I kind of saved your butt or something. You're like, that the whole time? That's so sweet. That's how it feels. It's an amazing thing. Um, we know that Christ was on the throne. And he was part of the Trinity, so obviously he's there because of part of the Trinity, but... 
the reality is, is that he earned the position of Lord and heaven is not bound by time. He's not bound by time. Just because he earned it over here doesn't mean that back in Isaiah 6, he's not sitting on the throne. Something to think about. Um, And then in verses 10 through 12, we quote from Psalm, oh, we have to turn, turn the guy over, I believe. Sorry to shoot through the Isaiah one pretty quick, but 102, 25 through 27. Uh, And again, similar to before, in their Old Testament context, these verses are about Yahweh. And again, the Holy Spirit for a second time is making sure we understand Christ is Yahweh. Christ is I am. Um, Which Christ said himself, I believe. And as we talked about last week, the Bible is teaching us that God created the world through the Son. And we are like Christ and that God creates good works through us. And as Christ has made us like him, um, just like he died, we died because of him. And he raised, now we have been raised in eternal life. So it's Christ within us that will go on and the decaying vessels of our bodies that will pass. That's how we see the Christ of creation come to the Christ of new creation and in the end, the new heaven and the new earth. And lastly, his reign. Somebody want to read 13 and 14 real quick? His superior reign. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? And uh, that's quoting Psalm 110.1. Which if you look at your sheet here, it says, it's, it's the start of the verse. Again, the Lord, which is capital, so we say it's Yahweh. Yahweh says to my Lord, <laughs> which is funny, sit at my right hand until I make uh, your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Um, even further down in verse 4, you see, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's all these references to Christ in areas where it could be very easy to be like, is he, not, is, he not, is he talking about David? But part of David is that he was a type or a shadow of Christ. So it can be easy to kind of like not see the difference. But right here, he's making a claim. Holy Spirit's making a claim like, and I don't think the Holy Spirit's saying, he's just in these Psalms. The Holy Spirit's saying he is all throughout those songs. Like, I gave David the ability to prophetically talk about Jesus coming. and But he ends it the same way that he started with a rhetorical question. Um, and uh, which the rhetorical question before was, to which of the angels have I ever said, in this case, um, being, sit in my right hand and make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Um, and basically, it communicates that Jesus, as Yahweh, is, has, demitter, has a utter dominion over the entire world. He upholds the world, and he's also earned dominion over the whole world. And because of this, this is something we have to... You have the Trinity. You have God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And this book is being really keen on making us see, like, yes, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but Jesus is also singularly the Son of God. And he was the agent of creation and redemption. Not saying the others were, weren't important. It's just God seems to be saying through this book, the credit, like mainly, the main focus of the credit is falling. I want you to look at my son. Isn't that amazing? Like, it's not that he's giving up his glory. He's just saying, like, you'll understand my glory better and be more benefit of my glory if you look at him. This is how I've chosen to do it. That's amazing. Um, And again, right there at 14, it just says, aren't they just ministering spirits? And lastly, to end really quick, we'll just recalibrate angels as we move on because uh, whether it's me or um, Mike next week we'll probably be talking about it a little bit more 
but fixing ourselves from the errors and the chubby little angels that shoot hearts, the heart arrows at people on Valentine's Day, which is coming up. Oh, I just realized that. Um, <laughs> it'll be here soon enough. Does that guitar still work for that? <laughs> uh, I did that thing where you just buy a big present and it's like, <laughs> coasting. No, um, but uh, let's, let's uh, refresh our angelology really quick. The Old Testament and New Testament make it clear that angels are created by God. They make people fall down in terror. Have, they have distinct privileges. They seem to have extraordinary powers, but they are by no means God. They are by no means divine. So angels reside in God's presence. They, where they usually are is worshiping God before the throne, and then they're sent to do things. They're sent to be messengers of God or to carry out his purposes. At the birth of Christ, they were there worshiping him and witnessing, being witness about him. They're also agents of God's justice, like in, in the garden. After the garden happened, an angel was put outside. Don't, you screwed up. Don't come back. Um, and Revelation indicates that Christ will lead an angelic army uh, in the last day to execute his judgment on the world like that angel that just sweeps his sickle across the earth and everybody dies All not everybody, a lot of people but in Hebrews 1.14 it underscores the glorious reality that for those who believe in Christ, angels are sent from God's throne room to work for the good of the church because if you think about it what does Romans 8.28 say? This verse is so important for grief. What does Romans 8.28 say? Yeah, God works everything together for good for those who were created for like his purpose and that love him. Basically, he works everything together for good for the church. And if that's true, then that means he works the ministering of angels for the good of the church. So we don't need to find our confidence in angels. We need to find our confidence in that these things are being used to help me. And I don't need to like pin it down as like, it's my guardian angel or touched by an angel's reality TV or whatever. Like, it's just, it's amazing. And I'm in awe of God for doing that for me. Just like he's put this whole world here for me to see his glory. I'm in awe of that, but it belongs to him. The praise belongs to him. But the reality is, we just talked about angels, the reality is that Jesus made people fall down. He made Peter fall down, but why did he fall down? He was, in a, in, he, was, he was embarrassed about his sin. He was guilty of his sin. That's different. That's very different. Jesus has, uh, and you can see that with Moses too, he, he, he wasn't holy. You're on holy ground. Oh my gosh. Um, he has infinite privileges where angels have some privileges were incredible. He has infinite privileges and his powers are unstoppable. He's the Lord of Lords. He sits on the throne that the angels worship. He was worshiped even in the form of a baby and he will bring ultimate justice to his own creations. In a symbolic way, Jesus has made the path into the Garden of Eden. I know it's not that, but it's the presence of God. But he's made that path um, possible again. And through him, you can get back to the presence of God, which angels were there specifically to just stop you. Jesus has made it possible to go back. That's a big difference, too. He has a superior name. He has a superior worship of himself. He's superior throne, and his reign is superior. Um... And lastly, just for a quick answer, how do you think you can use this information about angels and Christ and the difference in our culture today? Like, you're listening to this stuff, you're like, great. What am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> what do you think? I think to your point earlier, it's redirecting when someone seems to place that confidence Yeah, this gives us some defense for the spiritual realm that people seem to be tapping into, but they're creating their own lies about it, like Scientology and like stuff like that. Like we have a little bit of evidence here. People are like, 
well, you're all faith and stuff. Can you explain? Can you explain this? It's like, yeah, like I have some explanation of that. Yeah. Yeah. Angels and demons are real and they do things, you know, and we know exactly what they do. And uh, just talking about them very specifically in that way. Um, yeah, that, that mystic reach from our culture to understanding God. This is like, it's helpful to know the thing that's going in between, <laughs> that's working things for good and for bad. That's very helpful. And uh, I was going to say this at the last class, but like um, specifically about special revelation, this is kind of similar, but I'm sure some of you, I know I have, have encountered somebody who is like, God spoke to me directly, and I'm in, and they like, you know, has anybody talked to somebody, yeah. talked about that, right? And I'm not saying that's not possible, but when the person does that, and they're not a Christian, and they're not doing anything with it, like with what was, with God speaking to them, they're just like, yeah, it happened once, and it was just like really amazing, and I don't know. I just think about it sometimes. That's makes me kind of feel like it didn't happen. Like I don't see God speaking to somebody and it having no effect on their life other than that was cool. I've met Christians where he where I believe he did speak to them and it totally changed their life. And they are so much like Christ now. They just follow the Lord. Uh, Debbie knows Debbie knows one of them. Um, she was going to commit suicide. Spoke to her. Changed her life forever. Um, and it's the same thing with angels. Like with angels, like if, if they're talking about angels in a way that's not honoring the Lord, it's pretty obvious to tell that it's probably not true. And you don't have to be confused and pulled into all this weird doctrine of angelology that's not true. Like if it's honoring the Lord. What are you saying? Well, we might want to think of angels as created beings which are helping God and Jesus administer this kingdom. And as far as God spoke to me, uh, there is the one, you know, I read something and, hey, it hit me and just right, you know, applies to me versus, hey, I heard something, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, something that isn't, you know. Yeah, I agree. I got, I got this idea. Right. And, and he talks about that in Galatians, right? Like, don't believe any other gospel. Don't do it. So the kind of messaging they're going to be doing is going to be different. But yeah, ultimately we could walk away with the fact that Christ is superior than angels, and he's using them to help us. That's a lot of confidence. He's superior and using these amazing creatures to minister to us and help us. But there's an indication that we will be superior to the angels down the road. Yes, we will. And that... I don't even know how to accept that, but we have to. <laughs> I have a question. Um, so, like, during the intertestamental period, mm -hmm. um, so, like, is it also maybe in here because, like, back when there were angels coming down to Earth, I don't know, like, was, there just, was that, like, really common, too? Is that why it's, like, in here, too? Like, was that, like, a really, really common thing? Like, I don't think it was really, really common. Uh, it feels more common than now, you know, because you got the story of like the angel outside of the garden and which I'm assuming maybe Adam might have saw at some point. Maybe, I don't know, maybe, maybe he didn't go back. Maybe he was way too guilty. But then you got the angels who were with Christ when they talked to Abraham, right? And Abraham bows down and the guy doesn't stop him. So, you know, it's Christ. And then the other two are angels with him and you've got angels appearing during Christ's ministry. So it's certainly common of like, <laughs> yeah, but like considering all the time of history, it's like, you know, oh, but you're saying during the intertestamental period? Yeah. That's tough. I don't know. I just know that a lot of literature was developed that was like really misconstrued of like people thought that the archangel Michael was like, like his power was equal to the Messiah that was going to come. Like they just got, we, we did, they did what we do. We just confused everything and screwed everything up. But since those were the silent years, I'm probably going to go with no. That's my, they're, they're called the silent years. Like God did not reveal himself and he tends to do that with angels. So no, nah, probably not. We might want to forget about the 
demonic side of the angelic realm that's out the hinder of the mission and God. Absolutely. But still under God's control, right? Like, not his control, but like, they're still on a chain. They can only do so much. Well, so it still brings well, some glory. It, it, yeah. Well, like we got the Bible. I'm sort of thinking there's sort of a Bible, angelic Bible of rules and things for them. Sure. And yeah, it's possible. Things. Now, some of them trespass those rules and they're chained up. Right. But then there's others that haven't. They seen what happened to the real bad ones, so maybe we'll cool it and. Yeah. And that, that, and, and we'll end with this, but that goes to your point before, like, why, like, why, why are we going to be considered greater than angels when we get there? And the, the reality of that has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with God's glory. And the angels will look at us and be like, that's a redeemed sinner. I can't, he pulled that off. He saved that filth. Like, it, we're going to be better because of the glory it brings to God, not because of anything that we've done. Mm-hmm.